This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Three-game series come, or two-game series, I should say, coming up with the Astros. We got to get some revenge on these bastards. I don't hate the Houston Astros anymore. That's the Yankee fans' job. They're the ones that scream F Altuve, even though Altuve continues to F them basically over and over again. Who's your daddy? Jose's your daddy. So I don't have any ill feelings towards the Astros, but I had ill feelings towards losing back-to-back games in Houston. And I do think there's, we, despite the success against the Dodgers, I want to beat a good team. I want to beat a good team. So it's more, you know, well, let me just show that those two games in Houston last week with a bad Carlos Carrasco and Trevor Williams, let me just prove that was blah. That was a, yeah, it was an unfortunate situation in terms of who was starting those games. Carrasco's got a chance at revenge, and then I assume Taiwan Walker will make the next start. Then the schedule actually gets sort of soft with Texas and the Cincinnati Reds coming up. But three-game series with the Rangers over the weekend, a three-game series against the Reds, and then guess who they play after that? The Marlins again. This schedule sucks. They're playing the Phillies all the time in April. Now we get to see Jazz Chisholm and Sa- I bet you they face Sandy Alcantara again. They did a good job against Sandy this week. They finally handed him an L. And Hoffman hasn't brought it up, but I have to admit I did something very dirty over the weekend. Do you know what I did? You know what I'm about to refer to? Something very dirty I did, Pete? I don't remember, but I'm, I, once you say it, it's to be obvious. Go for it. What is it? I picked up Trevor Rogers. Oh, yeah, to you face did. the Mets in fantasy. <laughs> and he sucks. I don't understand. He's been terrible. I, I traded him away or dropped him. He's been so bad. Why'd you do that? Uh, it was from a fantasy standpoint. I was really chasing strikeouts. I uh, wasn't as concerned about ERA or whip or losses. I was chasing strikeouts. And when he struck out the side in the first inning, I'm like, wow. So I'm an pissed. evil genius. But then the Mets got to him. And, and honestly, a part of why, and I, I think you feel the same way, Pete, as a Met fan. I don't ever pick a guy up rooting for them to succeed against the Mets. My priority is the Mets 100 times out of 100. It's just sometimes you have feelings. You let a guy play. If he happens to pitch well, I'm more pissed off that he pitched well, but at least you get a benefit to it. So there's no like mixed feelings about these things. Uh, I doubt you had any mixed feelings with John Birdie being on your fantasy team facing the Mets. You want John Birdie to go 0 for 5 with five strikeouts. I mean, no, is what it is. dude, I have Alcantara on the team, uh, my team, and I was surprised when the, I thought that he was going to shut down the Mets. So I was happy to see the Mets get to him. So like, I'm like, yeah, it sucks my fantasy team, but the bigger picture is a World Series. I don't really care Damn about right. my fantasy team. I just thought rot, the Mets have had their issues against lefties. And I thought he would be decent. Mets did a great job against him. And as far as Alcantara is concerned, one thought on that from the game on Friday night. The Mets hit two solo home runs against Sandy Alcantara. Lindor hit the bomb in the first inning. Canna hit a home run in the fifth inning. Outside of that, through the first five innings, the Mets couldn't do anything against Sandy Alcantara. And the whole game changed on an infield hit by Tomas Nito, a bunt base hit by Brandon Nimmo, the screwy play with Marte, 
that we talked about earlier in which the double review took place, and he made the bad pitch to Lindor. So I thought Alcantara, despite the pitching line of giving up five runs, he still went seven innings, and it really took that really fluky sixth inning and the Lindor double that did him in. And then to Alcantara's credit, which is impressive, even though, I get it, not his greatest performance, he gets out of the sixth inning after the Lindor double and then pitches a one, two, three, seventh, or at least a relatively clean seventh inning. So he's tremendous, I got to tell you. Sandy Alcantara is a hell of a pitcher, and, and I think I think it was like three years ago, and, and correct me if I'm wrong if it wasn't him, the Marlin pitcher on a Sunday afternoon who threw like an 80-pitch complete game shutout against the Mets. I'm pretty sure it was him. Was a young Sandy Alcantara. Yeah. He's still young, but at the time we're like, who the hell is this guy? This son of a bitch pitching a 75-pitch complete well, game didn't, shutout. Didn't, didn't they get him? He was like the highlighted pitcher in one of the trades for, was it Ozuna? Yeah, I think he was to, in the, the uh, Cardinals. I think he was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that yeah, I mean, so I always have my eye on him, but yeah, since that day where I'm pretty sure what 80 pitches whatever it was, it was nasty. It was that that was like, I was like this guy's going to be special. And by the way, um that he gave up four earned runs cuz only one one of those was a uh, was an error. But right. you're right. I think he's he's going to be the Cy Young of the, of the NL, no question. Uh, if he, oh no, if he's, he's just, great. Yeah. He's great. The, the only question left is when are the Miami Marlins going to trade him? <laughs> Dude, they, they're not going to trade him. No, no. no. I, they, they, they actually have him on an incredible team-friendly contract. He is signed through 2027, and he's wow. making $10 million a year. At least I think he's going to make $10 million a year. So the Marlins have him on this insane contract. But now let's get to seriousness. They will trade him. I mean, they may not trade him today. They may not trade him next year, but this is who this franchise is. And there will come a point, I'm going to guess, and you can write this down, 2024. It's not going to happen this year. It's not going to happen next year. In 2024, when he's 29 years old, he's got about two years left on his deal making no money. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. They will cash out. No doubt in my mind. Maybe on the next podcast, we don't have time for to do it today. We have to discuss, as a Met fan, who would you rather pursue? Aaron Judge or Shohei Otani? <laughs> <laughs> or Sandy Alcantara? Listen, let's, let's go. By the way, uh, I just uh, one quick thing I wanted to get to before we go to, if we're doing anything else, I don't know. But you talked about uh, DeGrom coming back August 1st. I, I need to touch on something because the fact is, August 1st trade deadline. That's not an ideal timing of it. Would you prefer to see him come back September 1st, August 15th? So at least we have a move in place so we're not relying on DeGrom coming back August 1st? They made the move. They made the move. The move, the Jacob DeGrom insurance is Max Scherzer. There's no doubt in my mind. Like, I, I know the Mets are attached to adding a starter. And if Carlos Carrasco went down with an injury, I mentioned this last week, they should add a starter. And they could always use a depth starter. You know, so if Tyler Molly or, yeah, Tyler Molly's available, okay, fine. Um, Zach Gallon's available, okay, fine. You know, a middle to back of the rotation guy. I don't think Jacob DeGrom's health, at least in my opinion, impacts how I'm pursuing and who I'm going after at the trade deadline. I really don't because they have an ace. Their ace is Max Scherzer if Jacob DeGrom isn't ready. And, and I got to tell you, as much as I'd love to add a depth guy, 
I would rather add a DH if they're not going to give Francisco Alvarez an opportunity, and I'd rather add one or two big bullpen arms. And the Mets have, they have prospects. I don't want to trade all of them. Like, I'm not, you know, trading Mark Vientos. I'm not trading Francisco Alvarez. I got to be smart about what I have. So the timing with DeGrom is very different than last year. I know last year we're still kind of uh, scared off by what happened where minutes after the trade deadline or minutes before the trade deadline, we find out Jake had a setback or Jake's out. And it led to this, hey, would they have traded for a starting pitcher? I think you have to almost assume Jacob DeGrom is not a guy that's going to help us out. Haven't we done that all season long where if he comes back and he pitches great, but you can't rely on him or assume that he's going to be there? We have, but again, I still think at the back of people's heads is he's going to be in the playoff time. He's going to be there. If not, we need a number two. Which a number I, two? Where? Yeah, I, I know right now there's... Where, not, where's the number two coming from? Like... Is Luis Castillo a number two? Not this year. If the year. Cincinnati Reds trade him? No, he's terrible this year. Okay, so, so then need a number two. I think they would have to rely on what they have right now. I think the only starting pitching you'd go after is depth starting pitching because, A, you don't trust David Peterson, even though he's coming off this great performance. Trevor Williams isn't any good. Carlos Carrasco's falling apart. Jake never comes back. Max Scherzer's your ace. So I, I don't know... I don't know what it changes if all of a sudden there was bad news with Jacob DeGrom. Maybe you, uh, how about this idea? If we can't stretch him out to be a starter, maybe a bullpen guy. <laughs> I mean, it sounds stupid, but I mean, we're thinking about that with Tyler McGill. I, I always go back and forth about this. Um, are you asking more physically out of a guy to pitch back-to-back games than a guy to pitch once every five or six days? I don't know. And I, and I remember when we talked about Miguel, I even mentioned that. Like, is there more of a physical risk, even though in the, in the whole grand scheme of things, you're not throwing more innings, you're throwing less innings, but you're being asked to pitch back-to-back days. You're being asked to pitch three out of five days. Because if you're going to be a top reliever, there are going to be days where you have to pitch back-to-back days. I mean, if the Mets are going to go where we want them to go, Edwin Diaz is pitching back-to-back days. So I, I think the only way I would have considered that with Jake Remember last year when he was slowly working his way back and there was a thought he could be back in late September? If Jacob deGrom had a setback and was beginning his rehab assignment on September 5th, I'd say there's no time. Like, there just isn't enough time to get this guy stretched out to be a starter, move him to the bullpen. That's not something I would consider at this point in the season at all. Uh, Let's take a couple of questions and comments. We'll obviously be back and do another Rico right after the Astros series concludes which uh, Craig and I will be at. We're having our big SNY sweet day for the Wednesday afternoon game between the New York Mets and the Houston Astros. A lot of pressure on Craig. He can't leave that game early. That's a sweet day. We're working at that game. So I will certainly keep an eye on him. We'll take a couple of (laughs) tweets. Of course, you can tweet anytime at Evan Roberts, WFAN. What do you got, Pete? All right. uh, First one up. By the way, everyone's hitting about Josh Bell, which you talked on last episode of Rico Bologna. So we touched on that. So we don't have to repeat that again. And then everyone else is, again, when are we getting Francisco uh, Francisco Alvarez? When is he going to get called up? That's the trend is the catcher and Escobar sucking. But here's some other ones. From Freddie, a lot of different numbers on Twitter. Are you concerned the Mets haven't been on any prolonged winning streaks yet? 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I, you know, if you gave me a choice, and I asked this on the air uh, a couple weeks ago, and there isn't an exact comparison because the Yankees are about six games better than the Mets, I think, standings-wise, but the Yankees have had a couple of winning streaks. If you told me we're going to get to the exact same place record-wise, would you rather get to that record as a streaky team that's had an eight-game winning streak, but you've also had a five-game losing streak, or would you rather get to where you are with how the Mets have done it? And I would absolutely choose what the Mets have done. The Mets have been a remarkably consistent team, and it started right from the get-go. They lost those back-to-back games on the first road trip of the season, and then they went over a month without losing back-to-back games. And as that streak was going on, you know, I even said it on the air, boy, they also don't win a lot of games in a row. Like their longest winning streak for a big chunk of the season was three in a row. And that obviously ended during that stretch, that great homestand that they had when they swept the Philadelphia Phillies and they swept the Washington Nationals. Outside of that, that six-game winning streak, they've won three in a row. Then they lose a game or two. Then they win two in a row. Then they lose a game. I prefer this. Like, if you gave me an option, again, you're getting to the exact same place, same win-loss record. Would you rather get here this way, the way the Mets have, being remarkably consistent, or would you rather be a streaky, streaky team? Streaky teams are not good for our health. Because here's what happens if the Mets were a streaky team. And I would fall victim to this, too. I'd come on after a winning streak. We're the best. Nobody can stop us. Then I'd come on after a losing streak. I'd sound like a Yankee fan. Oh, my God, we suck. We got to cut everybody. This is terrible. The GM's an idiot. The manager's a moron. Oh, my God. You don't have those highs and lows when you play like this. And I think overall, that's healthier. And and I'll give you a reason why. It's not a perfect reason, but at least this goes through my head. When you're in the postseason, are you going to have an eight-game winning streak? No, you're going to need to be remarkably consistent. You're going to need to avoid losing streaks. If you have a losing streak in the postseason, there's a good chance you're going home. So responding to losses with wins, this team's been so good at that. So does not concern me at all. In fact, I prefer it this way. I just want to keep on winning, so whatever it takes. Uh, from at Carton underscore Craig, must be a, uh, a fan. Uh, prediction on win total, how far will they go? the Mets oh my god I look I'm not sitting here predicting a world series I don't have that feeling in my stomach I don't think I've ever had that feeling in my stomach but I do think and this is saying something for the team we root for we're gonna have October baseball and while that may seem oh that's obvious well is it obvious is it we how many playoff games have we seen in our lifetime we haven't seen a lot if you're under the age of 20 how many have you seen I think they're going to win in the mid-90s. That's the number. That's why the Braves cooling off, you know, would is an important thing. And speaking of the Braves, they haven't lost three games in a row all season long. How about what they've done? 
They've also followed that kind of remarkable, consistent path. But right now, I'm feeling 90, probably 95, 96 wins. But I don't know about the postseason, man. I I can't sit here and give you a grandiose prediction. I'm also in a lose-lose situation no matter what I say. If I come out and say the Mets are going to win the world, so you're getting cocky. If I say the Mets are going to lose, ah, you got Robertsitis. I'm just going to give you an honest answer. I have no effing idea. That's my honest answer. I really don't have an idea. I do have an idea that the Astros are going to beat the Yankees in the ALCS, though. Mm. That I'm pretty confident about. I I know you are too, Pete, right? The Yankees can't beat the Astros. I put a nice tweet out today saying that they're definitely, uh, Astros are probably winning the World Series this year. And then that blew up my face after uh, the walk-off by Aaron Judge. So thank you for that. Now, listen, the Yankee fan can say what we (laughs) said about the series against the Dodgers. That's the greatest split in the history of splits. Dude, they got no hit for 16 innings. They were terrible. I know. Yeah, but, but, but here's what the Yankees did. The Yankees as a team over a four-game series hit like 130, whatever it was. And they split it. Like, the fact they walked away with a split when they couldn't hit for 75% of this series and the ability to fight back. I know that would excite me as a Met fan. Uh, I would want to do better than a split at home. I think everybody would admit that. But I think the, the fight that the Yankees show is what, as a fan, we love. And I think we've had that similar feeling, not to the same extent, with the Mets this year, where they're never out of a game. And so you always feel like, all right, they will show you fight. We got time for one more. End it good. All right. Uh, You want to hear from Frank the Tank? No, we don't want to hear from him. No. Um, All right, this is more about a healthy McNeil. If McNeil comes back fully healthy, is it time to sit Eduardo for a stretch? He's been black hole in the lineup. Yes. I completely agree. Right now, the best version of the New York Mets would feature Luis Guillerme playing every day. Because even in a series against the Marlins, where Luis was 0 for 12, whatever it was, 0 for 11, his defense is so good. So good. And I think McNeil defensively at third base, and that's exactly what I would do. I'd have Luis at second, Jeff McNeil at third base. Plus, here's the other thing about Guillerme. And I know... this is not the greatest weekend as an example, but I'm using his entire career watching him as a, as a better example. He will give you at-bats. He will give you battles. He's not going to strike out on sliders in the dirt. Like, he will give you those war of an at-bat. So, I'm not saying this is the permanent solution, but when McNeil walks through that door, and they miss him, they miss him greatly. Jeff McNeil has done a lot in not playing over the last five days. Sometimes you appreciate a guy even more when they're not there. But the best version of the New York Mets right now would be Jeff McNeil playing third base and Luis Guillerme playing second base. You saw it in the ninth inning of the finale of this series, even in a series in which the guy doesn't hit. I know he had one bad defensive miscue. It wasn't even a defensive miscue. It was a hard-hit ball that he couldn't get in front of. He is so good defensively. And I think he would make up for the lack of pop that he has compared to Escobar with how many runs he'd save you at second base. And I think McNeil would be fine at third base. Uh, can we I will you, talk. Yeah, go ahead. Can I give you a comp? Tell me if I'm wrong. Gio Rochella, Luis Guillorme, very similar to Glove. I think Guillorme's better. I mean, Gio Rochella played a really good third base. I know the defensive metrics were never kind to him. But I think Guillorme... If we saw him every day, and we've seen him a lot over the last few days, I think he's a gold-glove second baseman. I think he is as good defensively at second base as you'll ever see. I think him and Lindor's chemistry 
is crazy over there. So I think it brings out the best in Lindor. You have to hit a certain amount to be... Like, we've seen defensive first guys play. Ray Ordonez has done it. We've seen it behind the plate. It's different because I think you don't want to have too many positions on the field in which you're relying strictly on defense. But Luis has hit. I mean, there have been times this year where Luis has hit. But I think he's so good defensively that he's worth playing. I'm not even joking. Next week, we will debate it because I think it's an interesting discussion. If you're Steve Cohen with a billion dollars to spend, would you prioritize going after Aaron Judge or waiting a year for Shohei Otani? Your thoughts, you can tweet it at Evan Roberts WFN, and we will discuss it on the next edition of Rico Bronia, which we'll record right after they wrap up the brief two-game series against the Houston Astros. Pete Hoffman produces Tiki and Tierney. You can hear that 10 to 2 on the fan. I'll be with Craig uh, for part of the week. There may be some more vacation on the horizon, but no vacation from Rico Bronia. We'll be back with you after the Astros series. Thank you very much for listening. Rate, review, do whatever the hell you do with podcasts. Something like that. Thanks for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.